Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. How to operate in your God-given authority. I put the thumbnail on this, taking charge, because one thing people need to understand, if you're a Christian, you need to understand this, the moment you become a Christian, it doesn't mean all your problems go away automatically, it doesn't mean all of a sudden the devil backs off for free, oh, they're a Christian, I'm not going to meddle with them anymore, no, when you're a Christian, just becoming born again, getting saved, coming into the kingdom of God, does not mean everything just automatically uh, solves itself you have a responsibility to take charge in part one of this series I, I i started to talk about that how not everything's automatic that even god pulling israel out of egypt them coming into the promised land was not automatic matter of fact they were just sojourning in the wilderness for 40 years at one point they were just going around one mountain for years and god deuteronomy 224 says you've dwelt along this mountain long enough arise take charge i've given you the land ahead of you it's for your possession but there's something you must do if you're going to possess your possessions There's something I must do. I want you to type that in the comment section, the onset of this broadcast. Say, there's something I must do. There's something I must do. Demons are not just cast out. Sicknesses do not just leave. Problems do not just solve. Nature abhors vacuum. Things do not just come to order. Chaos does not automatically come to order. That's our whole argument. You know, those atheists that say, you know, the earth is just the product of billions and hundreds of billions and trillions of years of, 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 of development, that it's just some random event, that it's some cosmological accident, pretty much. That's not, it doesn't even make sense. Could you put, if, if I took all the pieces of a watch, let's say I had a watch and I took all the pieces of the watch and put them on a, on a beach somewhere in Montego Bay and I just waited as the water came and brushed against the watch parts and they were all separately uh, set on the beach. They were all in different places, but I just watched and over 150 billion years, do you think that the watch would actually come together do you think that the pieces would automatically come together do you think that there would be some sense of organization no it would be more chaotic one piece would be lost somewhere in the pacific at one point and then the other in the atlantic and some in the indonesian it it would for 150 billion years that watch would be so dispersed you wouldn't be able to find the parts and put it back together well in the same vein things don't just come together in life you have to apply certain Uh, certain keys that the Bible has revealed to us that Paul actually went at great lengths to explain to us in order for us to have structure in life. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians that our, our, our war, our opponent, is not flesh and blood. But he is a spiritual power. There are forces of wickedness. There are spiritual wickedness in high places that are arrayed against your destiny you understand you have an enemy you have an opponent 
You have someone called the devil and under him demons that don't want you to experience the blessing of God, that don't want you to be healed, that don't want you to be prosperous, that don't want you to be joyful and peaceful, that don't want your marriage to succeed. Get out of fairy tale. Let's get out of Alice in Wonderland for a second and let's come to reality. You see, some people, they make this thing to be so spiritual, so mystical. Now, I don't even want to use the, the word spiritual because spirituality at its core is actually very practical and it's very organized. Organized. I want to use the word mystical. They make it so ethereal and mystical. They make it so weird that the devil uses them like a playground and they just make statements like, you know, how many of you know God works in mysterious ways? No, it's not even God working anything mysterious in you. It's the devil that has come to steal. It's the thief that has come to kill. It is the thief that has come to destroy. And so... You have to come out of this wonderland and come in to reality that there is a devil who hates you. You have an opponent. We're in a warfare. Life is not funfair. Life is warfare. I want to start off by reading God's original plan for men. God's original plan for men. How God set out for man to live on the earth. Where do we find that? The very first chapter in the very first book of the Bible. Listen to this. Genesis 1, 26. And God said, at this point, every animal is created. Every creeping thing is created. Satan is created. At this point, Satan has even fallen from heaven. He's been booted out of heaven. The fall of Satan has already occurred. And God is creating the earth. And he gets to day six. And God said, let us make man in our image. Let us. According to our likeness, you are created in the image of God. No wonder the devil has it out for you. What was the one thing the devil wanted to have? What was this one dream, his one ambition, his motivational factor in trying to usurp God? authority and have his throne above God. It was he wanted to be like God. Isaiah 14, you desire to be like God. He wanted what God had and he didn't keep his proper abode. Jude 20, Jude, Jude uh, verse six says, the angels that did not keep their proper domain. He didn't keep to his place. He didn't keep under authority. He didn't subject himself to God's plan. And as such, he, he got booted out of heaven, but understand the motivation behind it was he wanted to be like God. He wanted to look like God. He wanted the dominion of God. Well, what, Ad, what Satan desired and could never get, God gave to you for free. You look like God to Satan. You smell like God to Satan. You bear the image of God to Satan. It's no wonder he hates you and he's out to get you. And he doesn't want anything good for you. The Bible says in, in 1 Peter 5 that the devil, the adversary, he seeks, he goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may may devour. Remember in the book of Job, when God said, where have you come, Satan? Where have you come from, Satan? What did Satan reply with? He said, I've come to and fro on the earth. What do you think he's doing? Satan is going to and fro on the earth, back and forth, looking for an entry point into people's lives so he can 
enforce his plans, which his plans are sickness. His plans are disease. His plans is depression. His plans is anxiety. His plans is, is sorrow of heart, poverty, and total impoverishment, depravity. That's the plan of the devil. I mean, you can see at the moment Adam sinned, what happened? He entered into utter depravity by sin. Death entered the world. His plan is to destroy and bring, bring death on humanity. And you could know Satan is anti-God. So whatever Satan plans, God is the opposite. People are always wondering, what's God's will for my life? Find out what Satan wants and you know God's the opposite. What does Satan want? He wants to render you ineffective. He wants you to be useless for the kingdom. He wants you tied up to a ventilator. He wants you bound to an IV unit. He wants you taking all kinds of mental pills and antidepressant. He wants those things for you. So what do you know about God's will now? The opposite. Understand this. Satan is a polar opposite of God. He is the polar, he is diametrically opposed to the will of God. He is everything God is not. God is light. In him there is no darkness. Satan is darkness. In him there is no light. Everything God desires for you, Satan opposes. And so he does it because you look like God to him. You know, I'll go a step further even. What was Satan's role in heaven? Satan's role was to what? He was like the lead worship, the, 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 the worship leader, the lead musician in heaven. And so when Satan got removed, that position for lead worship leader, lead worship leader, that position for worship leader was opened. God needed a new worship leader. And what did he create man for? You read any theology book, even catechism, the Catholic theology, theology book states this, the purpose for man is to worship and glorify God. That's the purpose of man. God created you to worship him. The Bible says, Who, he that glorifies me, um, he that glorifies me does right. And to him that orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. Whoever glorifies me does right. He that praises me glorifies me. You know when the, the people were crying out, Hosanna to the highest, Jesus said to, to, the, to the religious people that were rebuking Jesus because they were saying, tell them to stop. They're calling you Hosanna. What did Jesus reply? He said, if these should stop crying out to me, even the stones would cry out to me. The purpose of man is to worship God. The position that Satan got booted from, God used us to fulfill. We are now heaven's lead worshipers. We are heaven's choir. We are heaven's uh, praise warriors. And so now the devil, not only did he not ever get the image of God, which image you are, but the very job and task and assignment he had in heaven, you now fulfill. He hates everything about you. So here's what... Moving on in our lesson, Genesis 1.26, let them, so he makes man in our own image, God says that, and then he says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth. Oh, hallelujah. Some of you are the light bulbs going on. He said, let them have dominion over all the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, 
have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created man for dominion. I want you to write this in the comment section. I was created for dominion. I was created for dominion. God created you for dominion. You notice in, at the end of that chapter, he actually says, and God saw that it was very good. Meaning that position of dominion is what God qualifies as very good. Is sickness in Adam, in the, in the Garden of Eden. Did God say, let us make man what's sick? No. He said, let us make man and have dominion. Let him have dominion over all the earth. And so, whatever was not in Eden does not qualify as very good. And anything that is not categorically qualified to be very good shall no longer be identified with you anymore after this broadcast. I believe that a holy, righteous anger is going to rise up in you through this broadcast, throughout this entire teaching, where you're going to see that whatever is not very good that has remained and overstayed its welcome in your life was actually a trick of the enemy telling you, you have to keep this. This is how life's been. It's how life's going to be. We live in a fallen world. Sure, we live in a fallen world. But remember Romans 8 2, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the laws that govern the fallen world, the laws that govern sin and death. The Bible says the spirit of life in Christ Jesus Jesus has set me free. Not I'm going to be set free in heaven. I'm already set free from the laws of sin and death. And those are the two laws, sin and death, which govern the fallen state of this world. And so whatever is not uh, detailed as very good, whatever does not bear the mark of very good can no longer be identified with you. Because what Adam lost through sin, we have regained through Christ's obedience to the cross. So understand, number one, God's original plan for mankind was to have authority on the earth. Man forfeited that authority, gave the keys of authority to the devil. But two, thousands of years later, not two thousand, thousands of years later, Jesus comes as the promised seed of Abraham strips the keys of authority back from the devil and then tells his disciples and you and I, I give you the keys of authority and whatever you bind shall be bound and whatever you loose shall be loosed. Number one, understand God's original plan was for you to have authority. When it was lost, Jesus, Jesus regained that authority for us through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. You know, Jesus' parable, he, in one of his parables, he's teaching about him going away on a distant journey, meaning him returning to heaven for a time. And he tells his servants, occupy until I come. You see, if you don't understand the authority mandate of the believer, you're not going to occupy until, God, until Jesus comes. You're going to be dominated when God's placed you in a position to have dominion. And, and that's a shame. That's, that's a, a grievance in heaven. When all authority has been given to you to deal with the devil, it should not be you the one being dominated by him. We shouldn't be dominated by things that are under our feet. You shouldn't be trampled by things that the Bible orders us to trample. You shouldn't be overcome when God's already made you the overcomer. 
And so if you just think life just happens and we and life's just random and things just happen, we don't we don't know why and we don't know how to change things. We just, time heals all, time will tell. You're gonna live no different from the rest of this world. Because a man who wanders from the way of this understanding shall rest in the assembly of the dead. Meaning your life will look no different from the unredeemed, even though all these things belong to you, authority belongs to you, dominion belongs to you, because you don't understand it, or you make these cheap statements. How many of you know we're not promised anything in this life? Or, you know, sometimes life throws you lemons, or, you know, we don't, uh, we don't know why things happen. God just works in s- supernatural and mysterious ways, and we're not trying to figure it out. There's nothing, we're not trying to figure God out. God's already penned down everything Needed to defeat the devil. God has already done. Get this in your spirit today. God has already done everything he's ever going to do regarding the devil. God's already done everything he's ever going to do concerning you. Jesus isn't going to come back and take a 40th lash on his back to pay for your dominion over sickness and disease. Jesus isn't going to go to another cross. He said it is finished. You know when he said it was finished, what it meant? It meant the devil's reign of terror over your life, it's done. The devil's manipulation and harassment of you and your children, it's finished, baby. That day has ended 2,000 years ago. And the reason why believers continue in perpetual defeat and failure and harassment and demonic bullying is because they might have read about it, but they haven't come to a point where they said, enough is enough. I refuse to be dominated when I've been given a position of dominion on the earth. You have an adversary, and he's not a gentleman, he's not going to back off for free. He seeks to bring believers in bondage. He seeks to bring sickness on people's bodies. He seeks to make men slaves to depression, women slaves to anxiety. He seeks to bring you under the system of this world, the wicked system, to enslave you. He seeks to destroy the faith of men and women. You understand that the devil's ultimate job is not just to get you sick or it's not just to make you poor or get you depressed or whatever. His ultimate goal and objective is to destroy. See, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. His ultimate goal, his objective is to destroy your faith in God. And if you learn to put a stop at him, the moment he seeks to steal, you won't have to ever have to deal with him trying to destroy. But oftentimes in Christian circles, we're not taught how to resist the devil. Matter of fact, most churches, you wouldn't even believe a devil even exists. Everything's just credited to God. There's a preacher once who was at a preacher's conference and the pre- one of the ministers got up to speak and he said he had built his tent to do a crusade and a whirlwind came and tore the tent away. And he said, I don't know whether it was the devil or God that did it, but bless God, and he went on with his story. What do you mean you don't know whether it was the devil or God? God's not going around ripping up gospel tents. He's trying to set them up. God's not ripping down churches. He's trying to build them. God's not going around messing up his own work. He's trying to build, advance his kingdom. I will build my church, Jesus said, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against the advancement of the church. So you see that in a lot of places, that, that part of the Bible's totally ignored. Totally ignored. Everything's blamed on God. 
Everything is blamed on his sovereignty. When, like I said before, God's already done everything he's ever going to do concerning you, concerning your victory. He's done everything necessary for you to live victoriously. That's why Paul says, thanks be unto God who always leads us to triumph in all things by Christ Jesus. You know what that tells you? No matter what's come against you, no matter the battle, no matter the, the situation, the predicament that you may be in, God has equipped you with sufficient firepower to triumph, not even to win by the skin of your teeth, to triumph, to be more than a conqueror. Colossians 2, 14 and 15. This is what the Bible says, that Jesus took away the certificate of sin that was against us. He nailed it to the cross. And the Bible says, he then went to disarm principalities and powers, and he made a public show of them openly, having triumphed over them at the cross. Jesus triumphed. The Bible, I love another translation. It says he spoiled principalities and powers. He spoiled them. He ruined them. He brought them to nothing. Jesus brought the enemy's power and authority to nothing. And he didn't do it for him. He was already the triumphant one. He did it for you and he did it for me. His triumph is my triumph. His victory is now my victory. The Bible says in Romans 8, we now are sons of of God, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. I'm a joint heir. That means what Jesus inherited, his victory that he inherited, his conquest that he inherited is now mine by virtue of my joining together with him in Christ Jesus. So understand this. When we talk about the believer's authority, we're not talking about dominating or having authority over other people. We're not talking about uh, having authority over God. We don't have that authority. The believer's authority is about delivering those who are suffering at the hands of the devil. The believer's authority is about living a life of command. A life of command, of supernatural command. Do you understand? You are in command. That's why Paul said, don't give the devil a foothold. Why? Because he's under your foot. The only way he can grab you is from beneath. He's under you. You're in charge. If he can persuade you otherwise, he'll stay in charge. But it's, listen to this. It is, it, is an, it is an assumed power, an assumed authority. If the devil has any authority or any power, it's assumed. It's wrongful. It's assumed. Because Jesus already said, all power and all authority belongs to me. So if there's any, if the devil has any power in your life, it's because it's assumed you gave it to him. You gave it to him. Because Jesus already dealt with the devil. He stripped him of all that. So if there's any power, if there's any, any influence or dominating control that he may have in your life, it's because it's assumed power, delegated power, delegated by you. And so I want to teach you today how to take back the charge. Go back into command. Get back into command. Get back into that commanding authority. Where the devil's no longer the one giving orders, he's the one receiving orders. You understand in any organization, the command comes from the top to the bottom. A salesman for AT&T doesn't go to the CEO and say, I think we should change this and this and that and that in the store. No, it's the CEO that gives the, 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 the orders and the salesman has to enforce it or implement it. In the same vein, there's a hierarchy in the spirit. And the Bible says, God is on his throne 
in the highest of heavens, the most high God, Jesus at his right hand, and then you and I, guess what? Seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above the devil, powers, and principalities. So in the hierarchy of heaven, Jesus, you have the Father, you have Jesus, and then you have us in Christ. And then far below us, not even a little below us, not even slightly below us, far below. I love how Paul uses that word, far below. Just to give you a, a hint as to how low the devil and how cheap he really is. You understand how powerful this revelation is? The early church believed this, and that's why the church never prayed about the devil. Go in the book of Acts. I challenge you. Give you $500 if you can find one prayer about the devil. There's none. You don't see Paul saying, Father, we just come against this. No, they don't. They cast out devils. Paul understood, wherever I go, greater is he that lives in me than he that is in the world. So let me go through a few. Before I get into how to take charge and practical keys to taking charge and the weapons that we've been given by God to enforce our dominion on the earth, I want to go through several hindrances to authority. These things will actually sap the authority of God from you. No matter how much authority as a Christian you may have been given, these things will not allow you to operate in authority. Number one is sin. I want to read this out of Psalm 50. Psalm 50, and beginning with verse... If you're just joining me now, you do me a great help if you would share this broadcast uh, if you're on YouTube like the video comment as much as you can subscribe if you haven't subscribed yet and uh, God bless you for it Psalm 50 listen to this God said call upon me in the day of trouble I will deliver you and you shall glorify me but verse 16 to the wicked to those that don't live righteous lives God says to them so I'm talking about hindrances to authority the number one hindrance is sin, sinful living. God says to the, the one who lives in sin, what right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth? Seeing you hate my instruction and you've cast my words behind you. When you saw a thief, you consented with him and you've become a partaker with adulterers. You've given your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother, and you slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you, but I'm going to rebuke you now and set them in order before your eyes. So God says to those that are in sin, what right have you to take my statutes or my covenant in your mouth? Meaning you have no right to use the authority that I've given you because you're still married to sin. He says, you, you, have partake, you have become a partaker with adulterers. You, you know, when James chapter 4, James rebukes the church, he says, you adulterers and adulteresses, friendship with the world is enmity at God. You can't walk in heavenly authority if you're married to the world system. You cannot walk in heavenly authority if you're still married to the world system. Bible calls you an adulterer. And then psalmist writes here, you have no right to give a commanding order. You have no right to, to operate in divine authority. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your mother's son. This is speaking of gossip. You know, some people are watching right now and you're like, well, I don't commit adultery. I don't steal. I don't do all those things. But do you gossip? Gossip is you're using your mouth to berate 
and sit and speak against others behind their back. And when you do that, you're actually, you're ruining the weight of authority that you would have in giving an order later on in life because of the words you're speaking now. You're actually stripping the authority off your words when you sit and gossip because you're using your tongue for evil and then you expect God to confirm when you use it for good. It doesn't work that way. Compromise will cause you to forfeit the weight of authority that you've been given as a believer. Compromise will destroy the weight of authority that you, 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 uh, you've been given. Many, in reference, in reference to, to gossip, many are trading in their authority in Christ for a few rounds of gossip with their friends. Many are literally exchanging. They're handing it over. They're saying, I don't want it, just so that they can soothe their gossip appetite. You know there's a gossip appetite? At first, it feels nice to gossip, doesn't it? But afterwards, it feels terrible, feels awful, weighs you down. The Bible says... That when you gossip, you're actually trading your authority in Christ for a few rounds of slandering someone else at the expense of temporary pleasure for you and your friends. Don't fall into that trap. 1 Samuel 15, 11, listen to this. And this came to my spirit when I was preparing today for this broadcast. 1 Samuel 15, 11, listen to this. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel. This is after Saul disobeys God's command that Samuel had given him explicit commands to go into the Amalekites and destroy everything. He went and he brought back some of their possessions. So Saul has a word from the Lord come to him and this is what it was. I greatly regret, God speaking, that I have set Saul up as king. I regret giving him this authority. That's what God was saying. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Samuel heard from the Lord because of Saul's allegiance and loyalty to sin. God said, I've regret from giving him authority. He's turned back from my commandments. And then what happened wasn't too long after that he lost his kingly robe. He lost his kingly authority. He lost that royalty. And then afterwards, there, were evil, there was an evil spirit that clung to him that could only be warded off through David's playing of the harp. So you see, it took, it took a, like an, uh, a turn for the worse because he lived in sin and would not repent and live a penitent lifestyle, a life walking in a manner worthy of the gospel unto which he was called. Because of that, not only did he lose his kingly, priest, uh, his kingly authority, not only did he lose his royalty, he took a turn for the worse and it actually attracted evil spirits. You remember what Jesus said, when an unclean spirit leaves a person, it goes through dry places seeking rest, finding none. It finds, finds seven spirits more wicked than they and they seek to enter into the man and the latter state of the man is worse than the first. What was the problem with the man? He had been cleaned up, but it was swept clean, put in order, but nothing else. There was no walk with God. It was just, I had an encounter once with God at an altar, but then I went back to my life. I went back to doing things the old way. I went back to living the way I've always lived, my old lifestyle. The Bible says when you do that, when you turn back from following God's commandments, you make yourself a prey. Saul made himself a prey. And I want to remind you, fasting and prayer 
Because a lot of people use, you know, Mark 9, where they say this type of authority doesn't come except through fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer is not a substitute for obedience. Fasting and prayer is not a substitute for obedience when it comes to walking in authority. When it comes to walking in your God-given authority and operating that authority, you can fast and pray till you drop. You can fast and pray until uh, you're down to skin and bones. It does not replace the place of obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice. People think if I just sacrifice food long enough that God will overlook my sinful habits and lifestyle and I'll still walk in this power. No. That power, purity produces power. Purity releases power. Without it, a compromising spirit will lead you to lose your authority as a king, I want to remind you, Jesus has made you a king and a priest unto our God and Savior. That's in Revelation 5. You're a, you're a king. You're a royal priesthood, God's special possession. You're a king. But mark my words, sin will strip you of your kingly garments and leave you in want. Get rid of sin before sin gets rid of you. Until you have dominion in the area of sin, you will never carry dominion over Satan, the master of sin. Until you learn how to take charge over sin, you'll never take charge over its master. If you can't even fight the, the, the slave, you will never be able to defeat the master. Genesis 4, 6, and 7, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face looking so sad? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you don't do well, meaning if you sin... Sin lies at your door like a lion ready to pounce on you and its desire is for you. But God tells Cain, imagine, under no covenant at that point, God told Cain, but you should rule over it. That means God had given Cain a certain level of grace to have dominion over that sin. How much more now, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, Paul says in Romans 6, sin shall no longer rule and reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. The Bible says you, uh, sin no longer has dominion over us. So sin's desire is to rule over us, but bless God, praise God, he has given us power and dominion to rule over it. Number two hindrance to, to authority is unbelief. Matthew 17, 14 to 20, uh, you have Jesus casting out a demon out of a boy. The disciples come to him privately and say, why could we not cast it out? Because they had tried to. Matter of fact, they even have been given the authority to do it. Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, the Bible says Jesus gave his disciples authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal all kinds of sickness and disease. So they had the authority to do it. But they tried it on this boy and it didn't work. And what did Jesus reply when they asked him, why could we not cast it out? Jesus said, because of, guess what? Your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith the size of a seed of mustard, you will say to this mountain, be moved from here to there, and it shall obey you, and nothing shall be impossible for you. That commanding authority is unlocked by faith. If you have no faith in the authority God's given you, you will be rendered impotent in the operation of that authority. If you just think it's just hopeful thinking or wishful thinking, this whole authority business, that it's just something to give you a, a, a pep in your step or get you out of bed in the morning, but ultimately there's no weight to it. That's not faith. 
Faith is fully persuaded that what God said we have, we have. What God said we can do, we can do and we will do. That's what faith is. Matthew 8, the centurion comes to Jesus and says, Lord, come and heal my servant. He's lying in bed, dreadfully tormented and paralyzed by demons. Jesus said, I will come and heal. And as he's on the way, the centurion sends a delegation to Jesus and says, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. For I am a man under authority. He says, speak only your word. He said, don't have to come. You don't have to lay hands. Just speak your word. For I am a man under authority. And I say to one, go, and he goes. To one, come, and he comes. And to another, do this, and he does it. So just speak the word, and I know my servant will be healed. You know what Jesus said? Whoa. Great is your faith. Let it be done to you as you've desired. And he actually rebuked the Jews that were following him. because He said, I have traveled throughout all of Israel and I've not found such great faith as I just saw this centurion, uh, this centurion operate in. The faith of the centurion was expressed, how? Through his understanding of authority. The centurion understood authority and Jesus said, that's what faith is. So when you don't have faith, you don't understand authority. And if you don't understand authority, you'll never take authority and it becomes a hindrance. That unbelief is a hindrance to authority. The centurion understood authority. He said, just speak the word. You don't need to come. Your word carries enough power to blast off anything that's trying to kill my servant. Jesus said, that's what faith is. So we can discern from that, that if you don't have faith, you'll never operate in God-given authority. Mark 16, Jesus said, Go ye therefore, preach the gospel. They that believe, they that what? They that believe in my name, they will cast out devils. You'll never take authority over demon spirits if you don't have faith. I remember there's a story, Enoch Adeboye, who was just, uh, he was running this, um, his, his convention, his annual convention, and there was a group of boys that were trying to cast the demon out of a man, and every time the demon would blow, like just beat them off, and, and they'd have to get four or five people to hold him down, and Enoch Adeboye was walking by them, and they said, Papa Adeboye, can you come and pray? And cast this demon out of this man. He said, I will, but I'm praying first. And so they got there. They rolled up their sleeves and they were ready to go at it for the next 10 hours. And Adeboye just looked at the man and he said, you foul spirit, come out of him in Jesus' name. And he left. And they said, whoa, 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 what are you leaving for? He said, what, do you want me to watch, stay and watch it, pack its bags? He understood faith. He understood there's no demon. I don't have to toil. I don't have to be frustrated. You know, a lot of people, they call it stubborn demons. They're not stubborn. They, 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 you, I'm telling you, there has to be an aspect of faith when you cast demons out. You, you, there has to be, you have to release your faith even in the area of casting out demons. Don't look only for manifestation. He said that. Do you know the next day, that man that couldn't be tamed by five guys, couldn't be held down, was sitting clothed and in his right mind and was actually serving tables the next day at the event for the pastors, the pastor's luncheon? So there's an aspect of faith in exercising your, your dominion over devils. Mark eleven twenty three, 23, famous verse. Jesus said, have the faith of God. For assuredly I say to you, 
Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou uprooted and cast into the midst of the sea and shall not doubt in his heart. There it is. Hindrance to releasing this authority is doubt in the heart. You can say the right words, but if you don't have the right thing in your heart, it ain't going to work. That's where a lot of Christians miss it. They're, they're saying what they've heard a pastor say. They're just, they're parrots. They're Christian parrots. They just mimic everything they've seen from other great men of God, but they don't have that revelation for themselves. Jesus said it's not just the saying, it's the believing that actually gives power and influence to the saying. Don't doubt in your heart, but believe that those things which you say, they shall come to pass. Number three hindrance to authority is confession. Guard your confession. Well, I don't think things work for me. How come bad things happen? I have such bad luck. Why does it seem like nothing ever goes well for me? All right. Why don't you just put a sign in the front of your house saying, devils, vac vacant space in this home. Come on in. I mean, it's ridiculous the way you hear Christians speak. Couldn't even tell they're Christians. What a terrible, you know the Bible says because of you, the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles. Because of your poor confession, people don't want to serve God. Well, why would I serve God? It looks, looks like I'm doing better than you. Why don't things work for me? I got the devil on my back. Oh brother, I got the devil running. Oh great, problem is he's running after me. Just like totally ignorant people don't understand what I'm saying today. All these statements prove you have no clue about your authority in Christ. Guard your mouth. If it doesn't edify people, it doesn't glorify God, and it's not a statement of faith, don't let it come out of your mouth. It actually grieves God when he sees his children who are beaming with his power and his glory and have been bestowed with the authority of heaven complaining about how hard things are. That will hinder your authority. You'll have no weight in, your, in casting out devils. You'll have no weight on your words in taking authority over situations. You'll, take, you'll have no weight in your words in taking authority over your body. If you're using your words to, 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 to complain most of your time. James 3 says, how can fresh water and salt water come out of the same spout? He says, make the water fresh. How can a, a, a fig tree Produce grapes. It doesn't. It says out of the good treasure of a man's heart, good things come. Align your confession with the word of God. Don't hinder your authority because you just let your mouth run its, its course. A fool vents all his feelings. It's foolish to just talk about how you feel all the time. Why speak about what you feel? Are your feelings higher in authority than God's facts? No. So don't speak about your feelings. Speak about the facts. And number four, hindrance to authority is ignorance. Ignorance will hinder your authority. Ignorance to what God has said, which leads me into this next section of this teaching, which I'm going to go through three ways, practical ways to release your authority. Number one. So I said the fourth hindrance is ignorance to God's word. So number one on how to release your authority is through his word. I want to read Luke chapter 4. I hope this is helping you today. If you're just tuning in now, you do me a great help if you shared this broadcast. Get this out to as many people as possible. Like the video on YouTube. Like it on Facebook. Share it on Facebook. Comment on YouTube. And uh, all of those things help go a long way. Luke chapter 4. Listen to this. Luke 4 
And verse 1, Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. So notice, oh, I'm baptizing the Holy Spirit. The devil shouldn't be attacking me. Jesus baptizing the Holy Ghost. And yet, what happened? The very first thing, the devil came knocking on his door. So people think that if you just get baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's it. I'm good. I'm safe. No. You have a part to play. You have a position to take. You know, any faith that makes God totally responsible for the outcome of your life is an irresponsible faith. It's actually childlike. It's childlike. You know what my son does? My son makes me responsible for everything he does. And rightfully so. He's three years old. I'm responsible for him. But there comes a point where he is going to grow up and I'm not going to put his... It'd be weird at 30 years old, me still putting his clothes on in the morning. It'd be weird at 28 years old, me still feeding him Gerber's applesauce. It'd be weird. There comes a point where you got to grab the reins and there is a season of grace where God will help you out as a newborn believer. But I'm telling you, there's a point in your Christian walk where the Lord... You're no longer a newborn babe. You've grown up into maturity and the Lord wants you to use the authority. Instead of you just, don't be the Christian that is always praying panic prayers. God, I need you to get me out of this. I mean, you don't have to get to that point. Jesus was sleeping in the boat, on, in the stern, while the disciples were panic praying. What did Jesus do? You faithless disciples. He got up, rebuked the winds, and the storm became perfectly calm and the waves became perfectly still. He showed us that's the, that's the more excellent way. That's the way we're to operate as children of God. Not panic praying. He was sleeping. He wasn't even bothering him. He, was gonna, he had already given the command to go to the other side. Some of you, God has already given you the word that you're going to do such and such a thing. God's already given you the word that you're, you're, you're going to have a ministry. You're going to have a business. God's already given you the word that you're going to be great in your, in your generation. God's already given you the word from his Bible that he wants you well. He wants you prosperous. But you have a storm of opposition that's come against you, and you can make a decision today to be one of two people. You can either be the panic prayer, always running around wondering how things are going to pan out, or you can be the one that grabs on to this authority that I'm speaking of today and actually utilize it to set things straight and make it to the other side, no matter the opposition arrayed against you. I just feel like the devil's anger. Who cares? Let him get angry at you. Let him be mad at you. People are so afraid of getting the devil angry. He's an a He doesn't know how to be peaceful. He's angry regardless. So get him angrier. Step on his toes. Break his nose. Give him two back eyes. Remind him that he's under your feet. Remind him who's in charge on the earth. Remind him who lives in you. You're not, I'm not TJ anymore. He got crucified with Jesus. It's no longer I who lives. Christ lives in me. And the way Christ operated, I operate. That demon in Mark 5. The moment Jesus' anointed right foot hit the ground, that demon that couldn't be tamed with shackles and chains ran to Jesus, bowed his face to the ground, and said, what have we to do together, son of the most high God? Yeah, that's what the authority of the believer gives you. Gives you an advantage in life. Where it's not you being tormented by demons, it's demons being tormented by your very presence everywhere you go. Because they know that your arrival means their departure. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the anointing on that. Your arrival. When you understand what I'm speaking today and you're going to learn how to release it, your arrival shall mark Satan's departure. Your arrival shall mark sickness's departure. Your arrival shall mark the departure of depression in not only your life, but in people's lives. People all around you. 
You know, the Bible says he have given you the keys of the kingdom. You can open doors and shut doors. You can open doors of healing, open doors of life, open doors of joy and peace, and you can shut the door on anything against your peace and against your joy. So what happened? Jesus eats nothing 40 days, 40 nights, and after when he, the days had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Jesus answered him and said, no devil, I, just please leave. I, I don't need this today. I'm really hungry. No. Jesus answered him and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Notice how Jesus didn't stay there quiet and ignored the devil. That's what people do. They ignore him. Don't ignore him. Talk back. When the devil talks, talk back. When the devil opens up his mouth, open up your mouth. Because Psalm 8110 says, open up your mouth wide and I'll fill it with my power. The devil can open up his mouth and he can rant. You'll find out real quick. He's got a lot of bark. He's got no bite. But on the flip side, we got bark and we got bite. Because our words are backed up by heaven's authority and heaven's power. Don't stay silent, wishing your enemy away. Don't stay silent, ignoring him, disregarding him. If I just, if I just keep to my assignment or whatever, he'll, he'll go away. He won't go away. I'm telling you, he won't go away. I'm telling you, the devil ain't going to back up for free. I'm telling you, if you just ignore your problems, they're not going to vanish. I'm telling you, if you just ignore what's going on in your home, it ain't going to va vanish. Whatever you don't confront, you can never conquer. Whatever you don't oppose, you'll never overthrow. Whatever you don't stand against has a right to stay. Whatever you don't resist will remain. So don't just stay on the sideline hoping these things will leave. They won't leave. Whenever the devil speaks, speak back. The devil answered him saying, man, it is written. Man does not live by bread alone. What did he speak back with? The word. He spoke back with the word. What's in the word? All of God's power is carried in the word of God. All of God's power is inherently intertwined, interwoven in God's word. And God's word in his mouth, when he spoke it the first time, is just as powerful as God's word in my mouth when I speak it time and time again. Notice how it took two, three scriptures to get Satan off of his back. If it took three scriptures to deal with the devil, not a demon, the devil himself, how much easier do you think one scripture, two scripture, three scripture will deliver? will deliver you from any other thing the, devil, the demons are trying to do. Any other thing that, that the enemy's trying to mess up in your life. So get acquainted with the word. The Bible says, acquaint thyself with God's word and thereby be at peace. You'll never be at peace if you don't acquaint yourself with the word of God. Don't be a scripturally lazy Christian. Don't be some lethargic, lazy, bum Christian that doesn't open their Bible and then complains when things don't go right and runs to pastor. Don't be dead weight in, in the Christian world. Don't be a prayer project for the community it's like, a, like I said before, if my son was 38 years old and I'm still clothing him and I'm still having to pick him out of bed and I'm still having to feed him and my wife's still breastfeeding him, it's dead weight at 38 years old. It shouldn't be like that. Why is it that there's Christians that are still in the nursery, still in the nursery, still sucking at the bottle? 
Still getting the elementary. Paul actually says, by this time, you ought to be teachers. And yet you're still going through the elementary principles, the things that babies should be. You're still, you're still having mama blend your food, for goodness sakes. Get into this Bible. Read. Study, the, study thyself to show thyself approved. So that when the enemy comes knocking, you have a reply. You're not there like a deer in the headlines wondering what to say. You have a reply. You're equipped thoroughly with the word of God. You have the sword of the spirit by which you can cut down anything he tries to throw your way. And it's not just what you say, because a lot of people quote scripture, it does nothing. It's not just what you say, it's how you're saying it, and how you're saying it is determined by how much of it is in your heart, not your head. It's one thing, I can read things, I can just read it, you can be theologically correct, there's a lot of people that are theologically correct, but are still suffering unnecessarily. So it's not just what you say, how? How are you saying it? How are you saying it? Are you some timid, neutered cat? Devil, I, I, devil I, I'm telling you, man shall not live. That's not how Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. But I, I can picture it. For it is written. There's a, there's a, and you don't have to yell. I don't yell when I'm speaking. I don't have to yell. I don't have to lift my voice. But there's a weight of authority behind my words. The Bible says when Jesus spoke, that they, they, they were astonished at his words because he didn't speak like religious scribes. He didn't have that religious, Oh, dear Father, this day do we come, acknowledging thee in thy service. He didn't talk like that. People that talk like that, they need like a laxative or something. They're backed up. He didn't talk like that. How did he talk? He talked, the Bible says, he spoke as one who carries real authority, exousia, delegated power and authority. The Bible says they marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth, Lo words loaded with grace. So you can become skilled in using God's word. Do you know that? The word is a sword. Just like in the old days, they had knights that were skilled swordsmen that went to war and were victorious. They, they were skilled. They didn't throw, they didn't, they didn't get the, the, the gatherers to go out and, 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 and uh, you know, put a sword in their hand. But those that were just, you know, harvesting crops year after year and then they gave them a sword. No, they'd get killed. They weren't skilled with the sword. In the same vein, you can be a little baby Christian that's not skilled with the sword of the word or you can learn to become skilled with the word. How do you do that? The Bible says in Hebrews 5 that, Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe, but solid food belongs to those who are full age, those who by reason of use have exercised their senses to discern both good and evil. So the more you expose yourself to the word and get it in your heart, listen to good anointed preaching like you're doing right now, I commend you for tuning into this broadcast, taking this hour on a Thursday afternoon to listen, because as you're doing this, you're actually becoming more and more skilled with the word. People ask me all the time, how is it that you're able to preach without notes and you got 
one scripture tied to another scripture, and it all just makes sense because I've become skilled with the word of God. I have exercised myself. I've practiced it. I've exercised myself in the word of God. People exercise unto bodily fitness. Paul said it's of some value. It's valuable. Don't neglect your duty to keep your body, the temple, clean and healthy. But he says godliness is even better to be exercised since it is more profitable. It holds promise in the life that is now and in the life that is to come. So how do you exercise yourself towards godliness? By exercising yourself in the word of God. In the word of God. And I'm not saying you're going to get up today and just read four hours. Start where you're at. When I go to, if I ever go back to a gym, (laughs) if I ever go back to the gym, I'm not going to start bench pressing three plates. Not going to do it. I'd kill myself. I'm going to start with a little girl weights in the corner, 10 pounds, 15 pounds, and just, just get myself warmed up, get myself back into that routine. You know, a lot of people, they actually screw up when they start running again because they go out automatically, they try to run five miles, they get disappointed, they didn't do it, or they did it in a really long time, and they get disappointed, they never go out to run again. They say it's wrong to do that. Those that run and have been runners for many years, they'll actually tell you to start where you're at. In the words, start where you're at. Start where you're at. You know, there are some days where I I don't feel my mind is there to just read. And so I'll just read a little bit and then I'll listen to preaching because it's easy to listen. I'll listen to preaching. That's a form of studying the word of God. So do that. Get skilled. Get acquainted with the word. Get equipped with what the word says in the area of finances and you'll have financial dominion. Get acquainted with what the word says about your family and you'll have authority in your family. What the word says about your health and you'll have authority over your body, over your soul. You'll have authority over your soul. God's word is the final authority on any subject matter. When you get acquainted with it, you've become enlightened about what he has said about every particular area. So when you hear about what God said about healing, the devil tries to put sickness on you. You now can reply, I serve God. It's Exodus 23, 25. If you'll serve the Lord your God, he'll bless your bread and your water, and he will take sickness out of the midst of you. Exodus 15, 26, if I'll diligently hearken unto his voice, I, the Lord, shall be thy healer, and I'll not allow any of the diseases upon you which have come upon the Egyptians. So there, you got two scriptures you can answer back, you can talk back with. But if I don't know that, it's what God said about it, then I'm, I'm weaponless. To be a Christian and not know the word of God is like having a gun and not loading it with ammunition. It's like there's so much potential power And there's been given this unlimited authority to you. But because we fail to load up ourselves with the word of God, you've become no more of a threat than a water gun. All we have is water gun believers. Instead of loading themselves up with the bullets of the word, they're just throwing wet tears at everything. Just cry about the situation. Ah, You can't believe this is happening. You're just a water gun. You're throwing your tears at the situation. Load up with the ammunition of the word and start doing something that's actually going to change the situation in your favor. Crying ain't going to fix it. Crying's not going to get the devil to feel bad and leave you alone. The word will. The word will. Number two, way to release your authority And all these actually are interwoven. 
Understand the power of the name of Jesus. I want to read something to you in John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and beginning with verse 12. Listen to what Jesus said. So I don't care what your, uh, you know, well, my Bible college professor said that this is this authority stuff is not really biblical. I don't care what he said. This is in the Bible right here. John 14 verses 12 to 14. Listen to this. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. And whatever you ask the father in my name. No, he doesn't say that. Sorry. And whatever you ask in my name. I was quoting John 16, 23. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So a lot of people use that for prayer. He's not speaking about prayer. John 16, 23, 24, Jesus is speaking about prayer in that instance. But here, he's, he's talking about taking authority over situations. And Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, the word ask there in the original Greek literally means to demand. Now, who are we demanding things from? This is why I'm telling you, we're not, this, Jesus is not speaking about prayer here. Because we're not demanding things from God. You're not some spoiled brat child. We're not demanding things from other people either. The Bible says here, if you demand anything in my name, I will do it. He's referring to demanding things from the devil, speaking to the devil in the name of Jesus. And Jesus said, that will I do, meaning I will enforce it and back it up with my power from heaven. So Jesus, in essence, is saying, if you demand anything from the kingdom of darkness, if you use your words... And then back it up with my name. I will enforce, I'll load up those words with my power and the devil will back up because it'll be as though I were doing the speaking. When Jesus gave us the right to use his name, he was giving us power of attorney. That is delegated power and authority. It is the right, using the name of Jesus is the right to stand in, the, in Jesus' stead as if Christ were giving the command. That's what Jesus was saying. When you say something in my name, you demand something in my name, it, the devil will respect your words as though I myself issued out the command. Oh, hallelujah. Luke chapter 10. So who's this for? Well, you know, that's probably talking about the apostles. That's probably talking about the disciples. That's probably talking about... The disciples, the 70, returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil, and nothing shall by any means harm you. So there you have it. Jesus gave you authority over all the power of the devil, and nothing shall by any means harm you. Verse 20, who is this authority for? Nevertheless... Do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Is your name written in heaven? Are you saved? Are you born again? Have you been washed? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are your sins forgiven? Have you been cleansed? Has your name been written in the Lamb's book of life? If so, the demons are subject to you. He said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. How? In your name. So it's the name of Jesus that brings these demons subject to your command. 
You have authority in the name of Jesus to locate anywhere the devil's trying to twist in your life and command him to take his hands off. And the enemy, listen, the enemy does not respect English language. The enemy does not respect government. You know what the only thing the enemy respects? The language of authority and the language of power. And when you speak in Jesus' name, it's a language he understands. And when you give that command, he backs off for free. Because when you bring up the name, it reminds him of when he got his rear end beat and battered 2,000 years ago at the cross at Calvary. That's why he hates that name. That's why you can't stand that name. You mentioned it, and I'm not talking about relentlessly and repeatedly going, Jesus, 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 Jesus. You don't, you, if you, the Bible says it's at the mention of his name, every knee shall bow, of things in heaven, things on earth, and of things under the earth. The mention, not the obnoxiously annoying repetition. Jesus, 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 Jesus. You, you, you look like you need a straitjacket wrapped around you. It's not about aimlessly repeating it. Just the mention. See, when people do it like that, they think because if they repeat it enough that there's more power in it. It is the name that carries all power. That just the mention, Paul said in Philippians, just speaking Jesus the one time is more than enough arsenal to get the devil to back off. So in Acts chapter 19, you see the seven sons of Sceva trying to use the name, but their names were not written in heaven. And so they could, have, they could have said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It wouldn't have done anything because they didn't have a relationship with that Jesus and their names were not written in heaven. So what happened? They were, th that demon leaped on them, beat them, stripped them naked, and they left the house overpowered, wounded, and naked and became an object of mockery in the community because they said, we adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. What did the demon say? Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. You know what that means? If your name's written in heaven, if you're saved and born again, and you understand the power of the name, that the same way demons view Jesus, they view you now. Notice how he didn't say, Jesus, we really respect. Paul, we've tolerated. No, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. It's like hell has a most wanted list. Or not even a most wanted list. It'd be the opposite of that. It'd be like a stay away list. If you get in contact with that Paul guy, I'm telling you, you ain't going to last long. Doesn't matter if you're a legion or a low-level demon. The demons, Paul's name was renowned in hell. Paul's name was famous in hell. I pray your name becomes famous in hell because you learn to use the name that is above every other name. You learn to operate by that name. You learn to release the anointing that's inherent in that name. Jesus gave you the full power of attorney to use that name. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Acts chapter 3. You see examples of the disciples using the name to accomplish heaven's work. The man was lame at the gate called beautiful. In the name of Jesus Christ, we command you, get up and walk. And they lifted him up. They used the name to produce healing. Acts 3.19 says, and uh, Acts 3.16 says, and faith in his name, yeah, the faith that comes by his name has made this man perfectly sound and whole, healthy in the presence of you all. You can use the name to command healing into your body right now. 
You can use the name to command healing into your children. You can use the name to command mobility into your legs. You can use the name to command pain off your back. You can use the name. I remember my wife once was taking a shower. She came out, there was a big lump on her breast. And I felt it, and I, as a faith preacher, got a little worried at the moment. But then I remembered that Jesus said, you can demand anything in that name. And I put my hand on her, and I just said, you foul tumor in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I command you to leave this body and i tell you the truth it stayed it stayed for a week stayed for two weeks stayed for three weeks but i'm telling you i was in it it was uh it was not long after that and and we were you know we were standing in faith it was not long after that we stood we kept praying in that name we kept speaking in that name that that thing it literally just let it totally uh withered down it was nothing and it's not there today jesus dealt with that By using that name. Now, had I just, oh, I don't know what we're going to do, and just prayed about the situation, nothing would have happened. I used the name to tackle it, to challenge it, and it backed off for free. I used that name. When I pray for people who have cancer and people that have diabetes, I use that name. For in his name, the Bible says, you shall lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. In his name. And then number three, number three, weapon that we have, weapon of authority that we can use is the weapon of the blood. The weapon of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is potent. It's so potent, not even the destroyer angel in the Old Testament was able to access the Israeli home that had put the blood on the door and the lim- on the lintels. We have not the blood of a natural lamb or of an ox or a goat or a donkey. We have the blood of Jesus. And if the natural blood of a lamb was able to thwart off the demon of uh, the, the angel of death in the Old Testament, how much more shall the actual blood of Jesus represent the authority of heaven in our home that would bar or close the door to any foreign thing in this world from accessing our home. I'm untouchable. This home is untouchable. This home is inaccessible because of the blood. There's an authority that the blood carries that the enemy says, I can't go there. The blood is not a lucky charm for us to hold to. It's not a four-leaf clover. The blood prevails. The blood is the power. It reaches to the highest mountain and flows to the lowest valley. It is the blood of Jesus that that song says, it shall never lose its strength. It'll never lose its strength. It's just as powerful today as it was when Jesus shed it 2,000 years ago. And that blood, it actually signals our setting apart from this world system. We're part of the inconquerables. We're part of the indomitables. We're part of the untouchables by virtue of the authority of that blood. The devil can't touch anybody. The devil can't just do anything to anybody. When people understand the authority of the blood and you plead the blood. I had someone come to me and said, my pastor says it's wrong to plead the blood. You know, the word plead is a legal thing that says I'm, I'm, I'm bringing to light the blood. When people would plead their case, they were bringing to light their case. They were giving their case. When we plead the blood, we're giving our case of exemption because of the blood. Oh, hallelujah. I'm exempt. When we plead the blood, you're saying, devil, I'm exempt. 
You're on unauthorized territory. You've overstepped your boundaries. You've come too far. Violators shall be shot on the spot. Should have a sign on your door. There's a home covered by the blood. Demonic violations shall be shot on the spot. Maybe not put that. You might get arrested. But nonetheless, it's true. You should have that, that attitude in the dealings of your home. Violators shall be... I don't tolerate sickness in this home. I don't tolerate depression in this home. I don't tolerate distress and uh, disunity in this home. I don't tolerate that. All of that are antics of the devil to try and screw the plan of God up for my home and my children and my wife and my family. I don't tolerate it. I don't entertain it. I plead the blood. Whatever demonic entities trying to sow strife in this home, I plead the blood. I'm exempt. And the blood is, the, is God's last card. Remember, all the plagues that God released on the Egyptians, Pharaoh did nothing. But when the blood came, he said, let the people go. Get the people out of here. The blood is God's last card. It's the most, the Bible says that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was actually the greatest display of God's power. The shedding of the blood and his resurrection. You see, if all Jesus did was shed the blood and he never resurrected, the blood meant nothing. But because he resurrected, it brought value to that blood. So what can we take authority over? Number one, we take authority over the devil. We're not taking authority over God. We're not taking authority over people. You, you have limitations to your authority. But you don't have limitations when your authority is directed towards the devil. The Bible says over all the power of the devil and nothing shall by any means harm you. Number two, you have authority over demons. You will cast out demons. The Bible says he gave them authority to cast out unclean spirits and, and, and uh, unclean spirits. And they, the demons, the Bible says they return, saying the demons are subject to us in your name. Number three, you have authority over your mind, over your will, and over your feelings. You don't have, I just feel like my mind just goes in places I don't want it to go. You can take charge over your mind. Your mind's not your master. Your mind's your slave. Learn to take authority over it. Learn to control it. Learn to give, to uh, cast down every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, I'm not saying that a thought might not, a, a thought, like thoughts, foreign thoughts aren't going to cross your mind but you have the authority to let it stay in your mind or boot it out of your mind you can take control over your thoughts and in so doing you can actually take authority over your feelings i feel sad well take authority over it but tj i command you to feel happy and start to meditate on things that make you happy the fact that the blood has saved you. The fact that you're born again. The fact that your name's written in heaven. Whatever. Find things that make you happy. And take authority over your feelings. Don't let your feelings go just anywhere. Speak right words and right feelings will come. Number four, you take authority over your body. You feel weak? Command it to feel strong. Let the weak say, I am strong. You ever wonder why God asks us to fast? Ever wonder why the Lord tells us to fast? Because when you're fasting... You're exercising your authority over your body. You understand that? So twofold, per, uh, twofold, uh, in, in a twofold purpose in taking authority over your body. Number one, 
when sickness comes in, you can command it to leave. When pain comes in, you can command it to leave. When weaknesses come in, you, you're tired, you're weary, you're fatigued, but you have a long day. You speak. Start to speak. Let the weak say, I'm strong. Start to say, God commands strength for me. Start to command strength to enter into your system. You know, the Bible says, he gives power to him that is weak and strength to them that lack might. But then two, area number two, is there's a lot of people, they have no control over their appetite. They eat and eat and gorge themselves into a scooter. You can take authority over your body, over your appetite. No wonder why Jesus commanded us to fast. Because if you can't take authority over your appetite and your hunger, you're never going to take authority over demons. So fasting is you're practicing and exercising your authority over your body. You're exercising authority. And the more you practice and exercise authority, the better you become at exercising it towards things that actually matter. And number five, where you can take authority is in the area of your words. Take authority over your words. Don't just let anything come out of your mouth. Speak right words. Declarest thou, the Bible says, and thou shalt be justified. The Bible says you shall declare and decree a thing and it shall be established. So learn Learn to confess right things about your life. Use your words to edify. Use your words for a purpose. Use your words to bring life. Use your words to help. Use your words to impart grace, not to destroy. If you're watching right now and your name's not written in heaven, you're not saved, you don't know if Jesus were to come back right now that if you'd make heaven, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Father... In Jesus' name, I believe in my heart that you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is my Lord. Come into my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Make me strong. I turn from sin. I turn to you. Wash me with your blood. Today, the old is passed away. Everything becomes new. Jesus' name, I am saved, I am healed, and I am born again. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to go on my website, salvationnow.ca. First link that pops up is I just got saved. I want you to click it, fill out that form. I'm going to send something to you free of charge, a Bible and some resources that are going to help you free of charge. We pay shipping and handling. I don't. I, it's my gift to you, welcoming you into the family of God. Uh, go and do that, salvationon.ca slash, or sorry, not slash, the first link that pops up is I just got saved. For everyone else that's watching right now, uh, if you'd like to sow into the ministry, let me tell you something. We talked about taking authority over finances. The only way you can do that and have dominion in the area of your finances is by giving. 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 Giving is God's platform for your increase. Giving is not something God has instituted to take from you or remove or subtract. Jesus is not a subtraction Jesus. When they put the five loaves and two fish into his hands, he multiplied it. He's a multiplying God. His hands are multiplying hands. They're not subtraction hands. They're multiplying hands. So I would challenge you today. If you have never sown something significant into the gospel, I started off this broadcast by saying we're going to be doing a Hope Fest crusade September 24th this year. This month, this new month, if you've never done something significant to advance the kingdom of God in the area with your finances, I challenge you to do that. You're sowing on good ground. You're sowing on good soil. 
We don't go around, you know, running pep rallies for believers. We go around proclaiming the gospel, and we're about to do that in an open-air park in one of the un most unchurched places in North America. Less than 1% evangelical Christians. Less than 1%, and I think it's less than 3% of any type of Christian shows up to church on a Sunday morning. So there's a lot of work to be done here. And we're here plowing it. We're here setting a foundation. I'm going to leave. If Jesus should tarry and I go home to be with him at 100 years old, I'm going to leave this earth different. I'm going to leave this city different from whence I came. And I'm believing God for revival. I'm believing God for a massive harvest of souls. Connect your finances with this work. Sow into God's work. Don't Spend your money on everything else but what matters most to God's heart. Learn to seek first the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you, my experience has been when you put God's, for God's plans and God's kingdom first with your money, you show God that you are in a position where he can bless you more because he can trust you with the little. Someone asked, where's the link to give? I'm going to put it up on the screen just now. SalvationNow.ca slash give. Thank you, Taylor, uh, for sowing. I appreciate that. And God bless everyone that gives and has been giving. If you'd like to partner with us, I haven't pushed partnership in a little bit, but if you'd like to partner with us at a monthly level, and every month, uh, make sure that you have something coming into what God's doing through this ministry, you can do so. PayPal, you can, you can partner with us on PayPal. We have Subsplash Giving. Uh, you can partner through debit credit. You can, you can send e-transfer if you're in Canada. And uh, I want to thank you for doing that today. I really appreciate all of you that have partnered with us in, in getting the gospel out. You know, The Bible says that one sows and another goes out to reap, and both rejoice together in the harvest. So you're sowing, I'm going out to reap, but we're both going to rejoice over the same harvest. Paul actually told the Philippian church, you're giving. I, he said, I don't seek the gift. I'm seeking the fruit that now abounds to your account. So when you sow into kingdom work, there's fruit. You're storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And it's not just in heaven because Jesus said, given it shall be given to you here. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.